0: Namā Krishna Prasaya lene Kṛṣṇa-prishnāya-vṛta-lēne bhakti swami Namase Saraswati Namaste sarasvāti-devē gaurāvāṇī-pacārāne nirvase sasunyavādī-pāskacāde-suthaṁ vande hamshi Śrī-gūrū Śrī-tāpada-kamalam shi sri śrī-rūpāṁ Śrī-rūpāṁ sāgra-jātāṁ vītāṁ sājīvāṁ Sādhivaitam, 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 Sahitā, Krishna, Jaitanidevam, Sīrāda, Krishna, Padam, Sāganā, Ladita, Sīrāda, Sīrāda, Vitaṁ, Omnamo Namo Bhagavateva Sudevāya, Of the Proteitas, text 24. Namo Vishuddha no. Satvaya. purport by Shubha. It's a long purport. Please try to be attentive. This most important class is the translation purport. Sometimes we just like fall asleep during that part. Translation. Dear Lord, we offer our respectful obeisances unto you because your existence is completely independent of all material influences. Your lordship always takes away the devotees' miserable conditions, for your brain plans how to do so. You live everywhere as Paramatma, therefore you are known as Vasudeva. You also accept Vasudeva as your father, and you are celebrated by the name Krishna. You are so kind, that you always increase the influence of all kinds of devotees. So here you see in the in the in the verse of the translation, Shila Prabhupada took the word Vasudevaya and he translated it two different ways. What are the two different ways he translated it? all pervading, all pervading, and son of Vasudeva. Yes, in either and. I find the most interesting part of this verse for me is Hari Mae say I say your brain. So of course Krishna's body doesn't have you know material organs. He doesn't have veins and muscles and it doesn't have a material body Shuddha right? sattvaya. yet he's described here as having a brain that wants to take away our conditioned life Hari made say. So Prabhupada is going to focus in this purport on Vishuddha Sattvaya, on Harimedase, and on Prabhupada Sarvasatvatam. So he's going to focus on, on those three aspects. PURPORT. In the previous verse, it has been said, Krihita maya guna vigrahaya that the Lord accepts three kinds of bodies, Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva, for the purposes of creating, maintaining, and annihilating the cosmic manifestation. The three predominating deities of the material universe, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, are called Guna avatars. There are many kinds of incarnations of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, and the first incarnations within this material world are Brahma, Vishnu, and Maheshwar, Shiva. Out of these three, Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva accept material bodies, but Lord Vishnu does not accept a material body. Lord Vishnu is therefore known as Vishuddha Satva. His existence is completely free from the contamination of the material modes of nature. One should therefore not think that Lord Vishnu is in the same category with Lord Brahma and Shiva. The Shastras forbid us to think in this way, Yastu Narayanam Devam Brahma Rudari One who considers Lord Vishnu to be in the same category with Devas like Lord Brahma or Lord Shiva, or who thinks Lord Brahma and Shiva to be equal to Lord Vishnu is considered as Pasandi, a faithless non-believer. That's a very strong statement. So if you say, I believe in God, but I I believe that everybody is equally God, then you don't really believe that anyone is God. So if I say, I believe that, yes, there's a God, there's a temple president here, but I believe that everyone is equally the temple president, then I don't really believe that there's a temple president at all. Did any of you remember reading the book Animal Farm? Did any of you study that in school? I was just at a, a school in Tirupati where they were, this government syllabus, they were teaching animal farms, so I was remembering it. So in Animal Farm, the animals throw out the farmer, they take over. It's supposed to be a parody of the uh, of communist revolutions. They take over the farm and the animals are in charge. And their motto is, everyone is equal, but some people are more equal than others. Okay. So we're not going to find any situation where everybody is exactly the same position. Whoever tries to talk about a perfectly classless society, they're never able to achieve it. You know, the communists talk about it. In America, we're very proud of that we we don't have classes. But we do have classes. (laughs) That's not avoidable. So if you say, everyone's on the same level, then that implies that nobody's higher. Therefore, as soon as someone says, Shiva, Brahma, everybody, Ganesh, who is it, Murugan, they're all, they're all the same. Then you're saying you're basically saying that there's no God. That's what, you, that's what you're saying. Therefore, you're considered to be an atheist, although you present yourself as a religious. Therefore, continue with the purport, therefore, in this verse... Lord Vishnu is distinguished in the words, Namo Vishuddha Sadvaya. So Srila Prabhupada is taking this Vishuddha Sadvaya and he's explaining how this quality of the Lord distinguishes him from everyone else, even very great personalities. So, although a living entity like us, Lord Brahma is exalted due to his pious activities. Therefore he is given the high post of Brahma, so this is an answer to the question. Well, well, who is Brahma then? So, Brahma is explained that he's a living entity like us, but because of his great qualifications He's given that post Shiva is not actually like a living entity, but he's not the supreme personality of Godhead His position is somewhere between Vishnu the supreme personality of Godhead and Brahma the living entity Lord Shiva is therefore explained in the Brahma Samhita 5.45 in this way. Lord Shiva is considered to be like yogurt, dadi. Yogurt is nothing but transformed milk. Nonetheless, yogurt cannot be accepted as milk. Similarly, Lord Shiva holds almost all the powers of Lord Vishnu. And he is also above the qualities of the living entity. But he is not exactly like Vishnu, just as yogurt, although transformed milk, is not exactly like milk. So we can... Uh, Lord Shiva Tattva is very difficult to understand. Huh? Very difficult. Sometimes we think almost more difficult to understand than Krishna. You know, who is Lord Shiva? Exactly in the Brihad in the Bhagavatam, we said kumar after he passes through the layers of the material world. And he goes through the Jyoti. he sees Lord Shiva riding naked on a bull, acting like a great hedonist, like a a sense-enjoyer. And he's thinking, this is personality who's above even liberation. Very very difficult person to understand. So here, Prabhupada says Lord Shiva accepts a material body. Of course, there's different forms of Lord Shiva. There's the Lord Shiva who exists above liberation. He doesn't have a material body. Then there's the incarnation of Shiva in the material world. Basically, when the Lord, when Lord Vishnu wants to interact directly with the material world, he becomes Shiva. Shiva is the husband of Maya Devi, he's the enjoyer of Maya, whereas Vishnu doesn't enjoy Maya. And as the enjoyer of Maya, he's changed. Like you change milk into curds. So you can't it's exactly the same. I, when I first stayed overnight in a, in a temple, in the morning the devotees gave me some prasadam to take to work and they gave me some sandesh. So I I was a cook. I used to uh, be the baker in a, in a big hotel. Mar- Do you have Marriott hotels here in India? So I was a baker in a Marriott hotel. So there's something about... Cooking, and I was eating this sandesh, and I never tasted in the West. We don't have anything like that. I never, nobody, nothing, even remotely similar. So I was wondering, what is this? Of course, it was also Prasada And I was, I came back to the temple. I said, "How did you make that?" They said, "Oh, milk and sugar." I said, "No." Oh. They said, "Well, a little lemon juice." I said, "All oh, that's So yogurt, you put in a little culture. I many of you have made yogurt, made curds. You, you get the milk warm, you put in a little culture, you keep it in a warm place. And so you've added something, you've added a little culture. And then you can't use yogurt like milk anymore. You can't use curds like milk. If there's a recipe calls for milk and you substitute curds, it won't, it won't have the same effect. Okay, now Srila Prabhupada is going to go on to Vasudevaya Krishnaya. So he's been talking about Vishuddha Sattvaya in the first part of the purport Now he's going to go on to Vasudevaya Krishnaya. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is also described herein as Vasudevaya Krishnaya. Krishna is the original Supreme Personality of Godhead, and all Vishnu expansions are his plenary portions, or portions of his plenary portions, known as swamsa and kala. The swamsa, or direct expansion, is also called amsa. All Vishnu-tattvas are swamsa, direct parts and parcels of the Supreme Personality of Godhead Krishna. Krishna is known as Vasudeva because he appeared in this material world as the son of Vasudeva. Similarly, he is known as Devaki Nandana, Yashoda Nandana, and so on. So, of course, different Vaishnava groups have different opinions on this matter. And even in the Vaikuntha Loka, the devotees have different opinions. Did you know that? You read this in the Brihad Bhagavatamrita when Gopakumar goes to Vaikunta. So he sees Lord Vishnu, Lord Narayana, and he says, "Hey, Gopal." So some of the devotees of Lord Narayana become very disturbed. They say, "Why are you calling him Gopal?" Because in Vaikunta, the Lord's not a Gopal. He's not a Gopala. He's not herding cows in Vaikundalok. So, oh cowherd, you know, it, you just imagine if you go talk to some big judge or the, you know, the mayor of Chennai, and you say, oh cowherd, they're saying, why are you calling him this? You say, yes, we know our Lord has leela as a cowherd. We know He comes as Krishna. He enjoys leela as a cowherd. That's one of His many incarnations, but. You know it's that's not his his mood here. this is one of his incarnations, and then some of the other devotees argue so I always like this Leela because it shows that there's even debate in the spiritual world. those of us who like debate there's differences of opinion there's debate everything's not just. Ah. So some of the other devotees, they're saying, no, it's fine to call Lord Vishnu Gopala because that's one of his names. You can call the Lord by any of his names related to any of his incarnations. So Kumar calls him Gopala. But it's interesting that both sides of the argument in Vaikunta they took that Vishnu was supreme. Vishnu was the avatari. That was how they understood and you see that, that among different Vaishnava groups, when they have the Das avatar, they consider Vishnu as the avatari and Krishna as one of the avatars. You notice that? So they put Krishna in. They don't use Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the followers of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We follow Jayadeva Goswami's Das avatar. And we have Balarama. So... There's some group of Vaishnavas, they take out Balaram and put in Krishna, another group, they take out Buddha and put in Krishna. So they're thinking Vishnu is the avatari. We're understanding that Krishna is the avatari. Okay. So you can say, well, is one true and one false? So, Srila Prabhupada, many, many places, including in this purport, in many, many places, Srila Prabhupada is quoting the Shastra and the Acharyas to show that Krishna is the avatar However, it's also the mood of the devotee. Every devotee likes to see Krishna in a particular mood, and just like every devotee thinks that his rasa with Krishna is the best for him. So the coward boys, they know the gopis are on a higher platform. But they think that their relationship with Krishna is the best. That's why they're counter boys. They think, oh, I don't want to be those gopis. They're always crying for Krishna. It's much more fun to play with Krishna. And the servants are thinking, oh, I don't don't want to be a parent or a friend. You now I, I, I feel very uncomfortable to describe the bhakti-rasamrita-sindhu. I, just, I feel very uncomfortable with that kind of intimacy. I, I, I like to keep more of a distance. That's a better position. So every individual devotee has their own mood, and they think that that mood is the best. Now, in this world, we each have our subjective view of life. Correct? And often we don't remember that our view of life is subjective. We often think my understanding is the truth. However I understand the shastra, however I understand the words of Sri Prabhupada that is the truth and everybody should understand the way I understand. I once uh, got this email letter it was sent to one of those sent to like 500 people. This is what Krishna says, and that's his opinion, and that's the only opinion. But it wasn't exactly what Krishna says. It was this person's interpretation of what Krishna says. So in this world, the fact that we have different interpretations and different views is a cause for great strife. You know, husband and wife have a discussion, and the wife says, Why did you say that? And he says, I didn't say that. I said this. No, you didn't. You said that. No, I said this and they'll take the same words and they understand them differently. Why can't you understand things the way I understand them? And so much difficulty and and fighting and discord. So we think that in the absolute reality, everybody must absolutely agree about everything. Otherwise, how can there be harmony? But that's, that's not the absolute truth. The absolute truth, everyone agrees that God is at the center like you were just in sri rangam and god is at the center architecturally god is at the center <laughs> you know or in tirumala in tirumala financially god is at the center the, the in the, by Kunda, god is at the center of everyone's heart in in every way god is at the center but each person has a different understanding one person thinks a Ramachandra is the best, another person is thinking Vishnu is the best. Everyone has their, their particular mood. Lord Kipiladev says the Lord appears in whatever mood the devotee worships him. So there's differences of opinion, but yet there's harmony. This is a very difficult thing for us to understand. Our, our subjectivity in this world is a perverted reflection of that individual differences. This individuality is an eternal principle. Spiritual life does not mean that we get rid of individuality. It means we awaken our real individuality. And there's no meaning to individuality if everybody has exactly the same opinions about everything. Then how are we individuals? Then we're just a big blob. At the same time, we can say that the Shastra is saying Krishna is the avatar. Just like we say, the love of the gopis for Krishna—that's the highest love. But that's not the highest love for someone who's a coward boy. For someone who's a coward boy, he feels his love is the highest. That's his experience. Okay, so now the Prabhupada is going to go on to Hari made to say, Hari made to say, and and also Prabhupada Sarva Sadgatam. Is going to describe those together. Again and again, now, now this is, Srila Prabhupada's distinguished, so his first, first point he made is that Krishna, Vishnu, they're not like other living entities, they're not even like the great Devas. They're in a different category, and then among all of the expansions of Vishnu, Krishna is the avatar. So that's the first, that, this first point. He's going in a very logical order. Amongst everyone, Vishnu is the top. Among all forms of Vishnu, Krishna is the avatari. He is the the most, it's exhibiting the most complete qualities. So the living entity doesn't have all the qualities of God. We have many, but not all. All of the Vishnu incarnations have all of the qualities of God, but some of them don't manifest all those qualities. Just like if you go to work, you don't manifest, you don't exhibit all of your qualities. You're only showing a certain side of your personality. You have them, but at work you never show them. So Lord Vishnu has all the qualities of Krishna, but there's there's four qualities he he just doesn't show, he doesn't exhibit. Whereas with Shiva and the and Shiva who's not exactly a living entity and the living entities, they don't have all the qualities. It's not just a question of not exhibiting them. Right, now we're going to focus on Hari Medasa and Prabhupada Sarvasatvatam, which uh, is very much like the quality of Bhakti Vatsal. Bhakti is considered Krishna's supreme quality. So now having established that Krishna is the avatari, Prabhupada is going to focus on Krishna's qualities. Okay, back to the purport. Again and again, the Lord is very much interested in increasing the influence of his devotees. Therefore, he is described herein as Prabhupada Sarvasatvatam. The satvatam community is a community of Vaishnavas, pure devotees of the Lord. And what does the word sattva mean? Goodness and truth. The Supreme Personality of Godhead. Now this is a really, this is a really amazing sentence. And Srila Prabhupada writes here. The Supreme Personality of Godhead has unlimited powers. And he wants to see that his devotees are also entrusted with unlimited powers. If you have a lot of something, do you want to have other people that have exactly equal to you or a little less? (laughs) Now, this means the Lord is completely free from envy. There's no envy. If you want others to have this equal opulence to you, then you have no envy. A devotee of the Lord is always therefore distinguished from all other living entities. So distinguished from all other living entities doesn't mean the devotee is another kind of tattva from other jivas. It's not what it means. But that that the devotees are acting in harmony with Krishna. Therefore, Krishna is empowering them, he's entrusting them. Okay. The word Hadi means, quote, one who takes away all miserable conditions, unquote. And Hari, made this say, means that the Lord is always planning ways to deliver the conditioned soul from the clutches of maya. The Lord is so kind that he personally incarnates to deliver the conditioned souls, and whenever he comes, he makes his plans to deliver the pious and to annihilate the miscreants as well as to reestablish the principles of religion I invent myself millennium after millennium since the Lord delivers all conditioned souls from the clutches of Maya he is known as Hari made now Prabhupada is going back to the point of Krishna being the avatari in the list of incarnations, Krishna is described as a supreme and original personality of Godhead. Krishna, the original personality of Godhead, appears in this material world when the demigods, who are devotees of the Lord, are disturbed by demons. Namo Haraye Vasudevaya Krishnaya, Dear Lord, we offer our respectful obeisances unto you because your existence is completely independent of all material influences. Your Lordship always takes away the devotee's miserable conditions for your brain plans how to do so. You live everywhere as Paramatva, therefore you are known as Vasudeva. You also accept Vasudeva as your father, and you are celebrated by the name Krishna. You are so kind that you always increase the influence of all kinds of devotees. So this verse gives us a nice udipan, or a stimulus, for increasing our attachment and love for Krishna. Because Krishna is the Prabhupada, Sarvasatvatam, and hari May, to say so, he's so opulent, he's so powerful. He's, his prophet says here, unlimited powers. And we meet people in this world who have some power, and we're very impressed by them. We want to become friends with them because we're hoping that they will lend us some of their powers. You know, like we went to the Parthasarati temple, and the devotees who took us, they knew some people there with powers. So they let us get to the front of the line. Right? Or same in, in Sri Ranga. The devotees knew one of the five heads of the archa. So he took Rampaswami and myself and a couple devotees were with us right up to see Ranganath And we were there for ten minutes. You know, everyone else just... And the same with Balaji. You know, Reva Thiramantha, who he arranged, he said he had to arrange like a month in advance or something like that to give us the VVIP treatment. I wonder if they have VVVIP. You know somebody who has power, and because you know someone who has power, that you hope they share a little bit of their power with you. But Krishna, although he has unlimited power, he wants to share his power unlimitedly with all of his devotees. He's not greedy, he's not envious, he's not fearful. We don't like to share... We'll share a little bit of our power with others, but not all. Not all. As soon as someone starts becoming equal to us in power, we become a little nervous. Indra is famous for this. Indra is a devotee, but as soon as he thinks someone might be becoming equal with me, then he tries to push them down. And practically speaking, all of us conditioned souls were like this. Therefore, Narada Muni says to Duru Maharaj, if you help those who are below you, if you bring up those who are below you, if you have friends with those who are equal, and if you respect those who are superior, you can conquer all material miseries. Because then you don't have any envy, and envy is the source of all of our miseries. As we were explaining the other day about Vaishnava qualities. So, the Lord has the most perfect qualities. You know, when Krishna says, Mame Kamusharanambraja, surrender to me, we may be hesitant. Oh, I, why should I surrender to such a powerful person? Maybe he'll hurt me. And we even hear sometimes, oh, Krishna takes away the money and the family of a devotee. There's actually one devotee corresponding with me, I, I don't know him personally. But this is happening to him. He told me, I haven't been able to get a job now for two or three years, I have no money, and now my wife has left me because I can't give her any money. This is exactly what it says in the Shastra, for the foolish devotee, not the intelligent devotee, but for the foolish devotee, Krishna may take away all their money and then their family members leave them and say, what use are you without your money? Just see the love of the family <laughs> and you have no money, then i will go away. Not like Sita who follows Rama into the forest, even when he's in exile. So be, anyway, people are afraid of Krishna. Maybe he'll take away all my money and then my family will reject me and I'll be left crying out on the street. You know, I'll have to rummage in the trash to find some food and lie down on the side of the road with the mosquitoes. So why should I surrender to Krishna? No, Krishna's not like that. Krishna's always wanting to increase the opulence of his devotees. Uh, Sometimes you may have to employ a little bit strong methods to bring people to that place. We call that tough love. Uh, Sometimes with our children, we have to be a little strong in order to give them something that's good for them. If they're playing with a knife, we may have to take it out of their hands, and the child is crying. But the parent is always the well-wisher of the children. Even ordinary parents, those of us who have children. So we're just ordinary people, we have so many faults, so much selfishness, and still we take good care of our children, and we don't intentionally harm our children we they're well-wishers. So what to speak of Krishna? He wants, not only does he want the devotees to have opulence equal to his, he wants the devotees to have opulence greater than his. He wants the devotees to get the credit. Now, generally, if something happens that I'm involved with, I want to get the credit. I want to get more credit than anybody else. There's one devotee in Europe who helps with coaching. He gives advice, especially to the leaders in ISKCON, maybe, you know, a corporate Yeah. And he recommended one book to me called Good to Great. It's a study about organizations and what has turned an organization from a good organization to a great organization. Of course, they're thinking in terms of money. The organization makes more money. And I'm also thinking about that the people in the organization are happy, that the employees want to work there, that people are, are eager to work there, they say nice things about the company. So they looked at many factors, but they found one factor existed in every single company or organization that was a great company, and that was that the leader gave credit to others. That any time something went well, the leader would say, well, it was a team effort. Well, this person did it, this person did it, this person... Even if, really, they were the ones who were mostly responsible. And the only time they took full credit was? When something went wrong. When something went wrong, they said, it's completely my responsibility. When something went right, they shared it. And if there was no way to share it, then they'd say, well, it was just good luck. I was just in the right circumstance. So this reminds us of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. When Balabhadra came to see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Balababhata was very proud of his learning. And he came and glorified Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Lord Chaitanya listed 10, 15 devotees said, from Ramananda Roy, I've learned about Rasa. From Svarabhava I've learned about this. He gives this whole list. I've learned this from this person, this from this person, this one. He took no credit. He said, I've learned it from all the devotees. And then Bhavavata could understand. Oh, I've been proud. So Krishna as the greatest leader in the greatest organization. He's always giving credit to his devotees. He wants to put his devotees above him. Sometimes we see this with parents and children in this world. Not not always. But sometimes you see that the parents are happy if their children become better than they are. But even in this world, sometimes parents are envious of their own children. They want their children to be great, but not as great. So this is the kind of leader that we are serving. We are serving a leader who is the greatest Whose, whose greatness is beyond comprehension. Uh, completely beyond comprehension. He's in every atom and within him, he's within the atom, but yet every universe is inside of him. So let's try to make a picture of this in our mind. So you can picture that the universe is inside Krishna, right? Madhya Soda looks inside Krishna, she sees the universe. You got that one. Right? And you can picture that Krishna is in every atom. But now how do you get the universe is inside Krishna but he's inside every atom and inside every Krishna that's inside every atom there's a universe. Can you picture that? So Lord Brahma talked about this. He said, Mother Yasoda was seeing the universe inside you, but yet she was standing outside, although she saw herself. It wasn't a reflection or a vision. She actually was inside Krishna, but she was outside Krishna, seeing him outside. How great he is. You know, are you're managing this temple. How many devotees are you managing him? Hmm? Yeah, temple. Twenty twenty-five. So is that always easy? No. Just to keep track of who's doing what and where are they and is this service getting getting covered. It's a big job. So how many living entities is Krishna managing? So just the humans on this one planet is six billion. I want to speak of all the mosquitoes and the blades of grass. And that's just one planet. He's, He's managing all these planets. And he's interweaving all of our karma. How does he do that? You know, I'm destined to get something and you're destined to get something. And everybody gets exactly what they deserve. How does he choreograph such a dance performance? And at the same time, his desire gets accomplished. He also has some desire. So Krishna's plan gets done and all of our little plans and all of our little karmas he incorporates into his plan and it's so fine-tuned. We've all had some experience like this. You know, you're going someplace and then you think, oh, this is a shop. I've never been in this shop. Let me go in this shop. And you don't even know why you went in the shop. And you go in the shop and then you meet somebody you haven't seen for 30 years. And this person tells you about something and because of what they tell you, you meet somebody else. Because of that, you start a new job. Because of that, this happens. Or you're going out the door and the phone rings and so you're five minutes late. And because you're five minutes late, you just miss getting into a car accident. Or again, you just meet somebody that you wouldn't have met otherwise. You are this experience. So how does he engineer these sort of things? Sometimes split-second timing. I was once driving to uh, Atlanta in America for a meeting, a Gurukho meeting. And there was, right before I came to the temple, it was getting late, and I was the only car on the road in either direction. And in between the road, there was a big stretch of grass, very, very large, twice, three times as wide as this mat, it was was late, and on that hobby you could drive fast, 70 miles an hour, I don't know how many kilometers that is, but a lot, 140, something like that, so we're going very fast. And the car came from the other, so we drive on the other side of the road, so this may be a little hard, but anyway, the car was coming towards me from the other side, it jumped over the grass. And it went right in front of my car and then jumped again and went into the forest on the side of the road. And I missed, that car missed hitting me by like one meter. And the car would have come into the driver's, because again, we're backwards in America. So the car would have come right into the driver's side. And I was thinking, one second difference, and you know, my, my body would have been finished or in a wheelchair or something, one second. So not only did I just miss getting into an accident, but I was the only person who saw the car go into the woods, and it went deep into the woods. So I stopped and I called the police that there's somebody in the woods, somebody injured in the woods. So how does Krishna arrange these these things for us? (laughs) Especially when it involves somebody else, and you think of every little decision you're making in your life. You think you're making it, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and changes things by a moment. So how incredibly powerful he is. Unbelievable, well you have the ocean here, this is just the Bay of Bengal, it's not even the full ocean. Have you ever seen the Pacific Ocean? Anyone here ever flown over, over the Pacific Ocean? Wow, that's a big ocean. When you look at a globe, how much of it's a really a big ocean. How powerful it is. One tsunami in a whole country practically can be wiped out. How much power is in the ocean? How much power is in the sun? And yet, Krishna wants to share his power with each of us. He's not an exploiter. He's not interested in using his power to overlord us and use us. He wants to share. He's eager to share. Right. For the condition soul, we have a little bit of power. Immediately, we want to exploit. Immediately, we want to exploit. The higher caste, they're exploiting the lower caste. The men are exploiting the women. The rich people are exploiting the poor people. The educated people are exploiting the ignorant people, right? The people with political power, they're exploiting the citizens. But Krishna is, he is, he doesn't have the slightest, therefore, prasuddha sattva. That's what means. sattva it means. It's not any. No, envy, no exploitation, nothing except love and sharing. And not only is he willing to share, he's not just detached, willing to share. Well, I'm willing to share if you come, but that's your problem, how you come. Uh, if you want to come to me, if you want to come to my boat, I'll share everything with you. No. Okay? And he made his say. He's always planning how to bring us back. So just imagine if you had some servant, maybe some of you don't have to imagine this, imagine if you had some servant who was stealing. One time I took my secondary students, actually many times, I would take them to visit the court when we were studying civics. So one time when I took the class to the court, some family was accusing their servant of stealing. And it was funny, they were accusing her of stealing a little dress. I think it was a doll's dress of their child. And the judge asked them, why are you bringing to court such a petty thing? And their lawyer said, actually, Your Honor, the family is convinced that this servant has been stealing many, many things for many years, but this is the only thing that they can prove in court. So let's say you had a servant that for many, many years was stealing your things. Your silver bowl disappears, your cash, your jewelry, your child's doll's dresses. (laughs) And then you throw the servant out. Are you going to make plans to bring them back? Are you going to be straining your brain? How can I bring this person back? So I can again share my opulence with them? You have a servant, you share your opulence with them. Not completely, because people share completely. The servant gets to live in your house. Of course, usually not such a nice room as you live in. They get to eat the same food. Of course, they eat later, and they usually eat in another place. Krishna eats with the devotees. When we're practicing to be a devotee, we eat in a different place than Krishna. We eat later. First Krishna eats, then I eat. And Krishna eats there, and I eat downstairs. But I do eat the same food. It's not that we're serving... Of course, in some temples they do this. But it's not that we're serving Krishna, the Rajabog, and everyone else just gets, you know, dry Drajapadis. Some temples, they treat That's not it's not Prabhupada's program. But we wanted to exploit Krishna. We had a mentality of a thief. Every conditioned soul has a Ravana mentality. I want to control. I want to own. I want to enjoy Krishna's opulences. Guess who Krishna's opulence is? It's a person. Lakshmi Devi, Sita, Radharani. I want to be the. I want to be the Parusha, and I want to enjoy. The, I want to be wealthy and strong and famous. What am I saying? I want to enjoy Krishna's consort. Talk about a thief! If you had some servant who wanted to kidnap your wife, well, that's our mood. In Vrikasura, literally, he wanted to kill Lord Shiva and kidnap Gowri. But that's our mood. Of course, when you want to kidnap Sita, you get Durga. So we've all gotten Durga. All right, here's Durga. Now try to enjoy her. We can't enjoy her either. She belongs to Shiva, and she's not very enjoyable. She's got a Trident. You know, try to enjoy me and a tiger <laughs> But Krishna's trying to get us back. If someone tries to kidnap your wife, you don't try to get them back. You know, you hope that they rot in jail for a million years. You want them to suffer. But Krishna's not like that. Krishna doesn't want us to suffer. He's eager for us to come back. He wants to purify us. He's making plans. He's coming. Prabhupada says here, Sadhana. He's coming, Prabhupada said he's making his plans. How can I bring them back? How can I bring them back? How can I bring them back so I can share all my opulences with them again? So what kind of a friend is that? What an amazing friend. Therefore, Surudham, like your name is Sumitra Krishna. Krishna is a surit, such a friend. I mean, we all have some friend. I hope everybody has at least one friend in this world who really cares about us. But nobody has a friend like Krishna. There's There's no friend like Krishna. There's nobody who has such freedom from envy, such kindness. Of course, the devotees, the pure devotees, they also act like that. But the pure devotees don't think, I am the friend. Prabhupada says, if the guru thinks, I am the friend, then he's a fool. But the pure devotees, as Krishna's ambassadors, they also have this mood. Please come back and share the opulences of Krishna. Share the unlimited powers of Krishna. Get again unlimited power. So we would all like to have unlimited power, let's be honest. And Krishna wants us to have unlimited power. He's eager for that. All we have to do is cooperate with His plan to bring us home. That's all. This is very simple. Krishna says, "Just do like this, do like this. you come home." And all we need to do is say, "Okay." It's all already made the plan. He's already given us the details of the plan. He's sending us people to help with the plan. He's sending us the Shastra to help with the plan. We just have to say, okay. That's it. So our business is just to see throughout the day, am I saying okay or am I saying not now or am I saying forget it? Now this is the question to ask ourselves throughout the day. Okay, right now, am I cooperating with Krishna's plan? Am I cooperating fully, partially, not at all? To what extent am I acting within Krishna's plan? And to meditate on how wonderful Krishna is. These verses from the Shastra are for us to pray to Krishna and to meditate on. How wonderful my Lord is. So then we want to cooperate. Our whole process of Krishna consciousness according to Bhagavad Gita chapter 12 is to desire to cooperate. As soon as we desire to cooperate, everything is finished. So here Prabhupada was talking about first how Krishna is above everyone, Lord Vishnu. He's pure. No exploitation. No lust. No envy. And then among all the forms of Vishnu, Krishna is the Avatari. Krishna, the son of Vasudev, Krishna who is all-pervading, Krishna who has unlimited powers, and that this Krishna is so kind and so non-envious that although he's so great, he wants each of his devotees to have unlimited powers. And he's constantly planning how he can do this, how he can give each of his devotees, even the fallen devotees, unlimited power, and again bring them back and our business in hearing this description is to become attracted and choose then to cooperate. So I'm going to be leaving early tomorrow morning. I wanted to thank you very much for your hospitality and your kindness. It's a warm climate and warm-hearted devotees. The Shanae sunshine is coming from all of your hearts. Very kind. I'm really feeling that I'm part of a family here. Prabhupada wanted ISKCON to be a family based on love and trust. And I'm sure there are also problems here. Every place there's problems. You'll not find a place without problems. I'm sure if I stay here for a year I find a list of problems. But you can feel the family atmosphere. So please take care of each other. Remember you're all devotees remember your family members are also Krishna's devotees, take care of them too uh, treat each other with love and trust remember you're dealing with very very special people and everything will always be okay so we could take just a couple minutes of questions I think someone here. yes yes I think a question once I make a she said that Krishna friend of everyone when the Muslims invaded North India, they attacked in Gundam. Many devotees for all sufferings. Some women were raped, children were killed. She was asking this question, 24 hours the devotees, the King of Krishna. Why they put in such problems? That could happen to those by faith in Krishna's because Like to all them see, because even though they devote, they they can take, they can accommodate their pain, so much was not promised How is that devotees in Randamasura can be attacked? See, we, we, in this material world, we think of kindness as having a nice material situation. So there's, i can give you one analogy. So let's say that you're just going on in your life and you think you're healthy. And you go for a checkup to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you have cancer. You have liver cancer or something like that. So you had no symptoms, you were feeling fine. Or one of my friend's sons, he had a cold. It it didn't go away, one month he he had a cold. And he went to the doctor, they did some tests, they said you have leukemia. Or he thought he had a cold. So we believe the doctor. The doctor says you have leukemia, We, we can't read the tests. They show you this x-ray, this blood test. I don't understand what it is. And the doctor just says, you have leukemia. We accept. We accept the doctor's authority. And then the doctor says, because you have leukemia, we're going to do a bone marrow transplant. That's very painful. It's extremely painful. It's not just a little bit painful. It's extremely painful. We're going to give you chemotherapy. So if, if any of you have had chemotherapy or if you know someone who had chemotherapy it's, it's horrible I was talking to one devotee who had chemotherapy she said that anything she touched it would hurt so much that she couldn't even chant on her beads she had to make beads out of uh, yarn like little sponges to chant on them. And she couldn't go out among people because her immune system was compromised. If she went around people, she'd get sick. And she said her emotions got all crazy. She said she'd start yelling at her husband about nothing. And he would just, she said, he will just look at me and say, You're just crazy because of the chemotherapy. I'm not going to pay any attention to you. She went through that for six months. So people do this. Do they say the doctor is cruel? People take such treatment. People take medical treatment that is horrible. (laughs) Their hair falls out, they're vomiting, they're in terrible pain. And they accept such treatment for a disease they can't even see that they have. They can't even verify that they have the disease out of trust for the doctor and nobody says to the doctors this is such a nice person why are you torturing him we trust how much trust we have for doctors is pretty amazing even though we know the doctors are sometimes wrong they're wrong a lot more times than we think (laughs) there's many studies that show that when they say you have cancer that probably 20 percent of the time you don't really have cancer trust them. They may be making a mistake in our diagnosis. They may be making a mistake in our treatment. They may be prescribing a more expensive treatment just so we can pay them more money. You know, that happens a lot. In America, there's a 30% cesarean rate, and because one of the reasons is that the insurance companies pay five times more money for cesarean and then also the doctor can schedule it and then go to their golf game. And yet we trust them. We trust that they're our benefactors. We trust that they're doing good for us. Nobody, you know, puts the doctors in jail for war crimes or something. But when Krishna does major surgery, we criticize him. So sometimes Krishna does major surgery on people. Krishna may see that this person has a very serious disease, and the only cure is some kind of very severe treatment. So I find it sad that the same person who will become an atheist will put their faith in some ordinary doctor. Of course, you can say, well, the doctor can explain to you, but do you really understand what the doctor is saying? Of Krishna is Krishna's also explaining, and the Shastra Krishna is also explaining. And maybe we don't understand what he's saying either. So it's a question of trust. The other thing is that whether you're a devotee or you're not a devotee, <laughs> there's going to be suffering in this world. It's not that if I don't surrender to Krishna, then I'll be able to control my life so there won't be any suffering. But if I surrender to Krishna, then I'll lose my control. And Krishna might make me suffer in some way I wouldn't have suffered ordinarily. That's that's madness. If we could really control our life, none of us would suffer. None of us would get old. None of us would lose our teeth. Lose our hearing. Would anybody do that? No, those of us who are getting old, so when we were young, we might have been very attractive, and now we look in the mirror and we're not very attractive. So, who would do that? We may get some diseases or some accident. How much control do we have? Really, Krishna is giving us the medicine we need whether we surrender or not. It's not that if you don't surrender, there's no medicine. It's not like that. So the difference between surrendering and not surrendering is if I surrender, then I see everything as good. I feel grateful for everything, and I can be happy in all situations. And if I don't surrender, I'm full of anger and fear and bitterness and confusion that's the difference if you say well when you're a devotee Krishna should make everything materially nice but maybe that's not what's going to be best for you it's like these philosophies of raising children that say you know good parents never yell at their children never punish their children I mean try to raise a good child like that good luck I've heard even some devotees preach like that, until a child's five, never, you know, correct them. Such people they've never been with young children. Can't do it. And sometimes a child is crying. Sometimes a child gets very angry. Little two-year-old children, they'll say things like, I hate you, mommy, I hate you, daddy, I never want to see you again, I'm going away. I remember one of my sons, when he was about three, he said, I'm leaving. I'm gonna find a new mommy." I said, okay. I said, we'll put a little sign on you. Anyone who wants this naughty, naughty child can take him home. And so, you, you can't. You can't raise a child without correcting him. How can you be a teacher without correcting somebody? Some people have this philosophy. They say the teacher should never put red marks on the paper. It's traumatizing to the students. What are you supposed to do? Purple marks instead? You have to tell them, this is right, this is wrong. Otherwise, how will they learn? If you just always say, oh yes, this is wrong." So to expect that Krishna is going to reform us without ever having to correct us and sometimes the correction will not be to our liking. Sometimes it may be very severe correction. This question also comes from a lot of pride. I'm already, I, I'm a really good person. Why should I ever need correction? I don't really have any problems. I wasn't able to give a one word answer, you have to months. Yes, but it bodies of the of and The of the the Ah. Some of them come in their original spiritual forms and some of them accept physical bodies. But of course even if the devotee accepts a physical body or so-called material body it doesn't act materially. And the example is the iron in the fire. Therefore for the great souls everything connected with their body is also considered sacred. Even the Christians have this idea that the bodies of the saints are also have spiritual potency. For different associates. Well when, again when we say material body, in other words, their bodies made out of earth, water, fire, air, ether, or some combination of that, it's not their eternal form. Lord Shiva also has an eternal form. So as I said in the beginning, maybe you weren't here, I said in the beginning that there's forms of Lord Shiva that do have eternal forms. Like the form that Gopakumar saw beyond the Brahmajyoti in that kailash. But in the kailash within this world, Shiva and Parvati take on physical bodies. Whereas Krishna never does that. He appears in his original body. And some of his associates do also. Simati Soda, you talk to opinions, different people. You different opinions, and different opinions if you want to stress the opinion. Sometimes you find and you want to read proper purpose. You seems that I have understood that in this way, and many things go on in proper lecture. The proper one I've spoken to one person, you only one thing, and then But sometimes it's like stress, purpose, both like this. You see, they pull you. How did they take you up again? Using problems, quotes like weapons. What was that? Both So a little humility is always nice. Maybe I don't understand everything perfectly. Maybe imperfect senses and tendency to commit mistakes. Just maybe, possibly it might apply to me. Maybe. There's some slight remote I know it's only a millionth of a chance, but there's a millionth of a chance that my understanding of the scripture and my understanding of what Prabhupada said is exactly that, my understanding. And it's not exactly what Krishna intended or what Krishna understood. There's at least a millionth of a percent of a chance that I'm not perfect. And it just could be, it's possible that this other devotee has some understanding that's equal to mine, that's possible. So a little humility is always a really good idea. We think, you know, the imperfect senses, cheating propensity, committing mistakes and illusion, that applies to all the hogs, dogs, camels, and asses outside the temple. And of course it also applies to all the other devotees in the temple, it applies to everybody except me, that my sense perception is perfect and my understanding is perfect. So, it's, it's amazing the power of maya. Really amazing. Krishna has an incredible maya. And we've all experienced that as we progress in Krishna consciousness that our understanding of Prabhupada's words deepens. The, the Shastra is Krishna. Bhagavatam is Krishna. He's dynamic. You can always understand more and more. Right? How many times have we read a purport that we've read 20 times before? And we said, where did that sentence come from? What an amazing sentence. What is Prabhupada saying here? That's incredible. What is Krishna saying here? And 20 times before we read it, in Ganondi, and Bhashvaj, all of a sudden we get new meanings. So, well, you know what that means? It means that the meanings I'm getting now are not fully mature. Five years from now, ten years from now, I'll understand things in a deeper way. And that will keep going. So how can I ever say I have a perfect understanding? What hubris? Don't have a purpose. Therefore, Prabhupada said we should study these verses from many angles of vision. What does that mean? There are many angles of vision. <laughs> no, they have to be within the boundary of the siddhanta. So there's a certain boundary. But within that boundary, that Trayvishi wrote a letter to Prabhupada. He said the devotees have different opinions due to impersonalism. Prabhupada said, no, that is due to personalism. <laughs> He said, as long as we don't have different opinions about the process, so if somebody, actually there's one person who wasn't ISKCON, then he formed his own society, where they chant 16 rounds of Sri Krishna, Chaitanya, Prabhupada, So if you're going to concoct your own process, that's a problem, but as long as you're within the, the wall. And then remember understanding the Shastra is not a question of intellectual ability. It's a question of realization and revelation. It's not just that if you're smart. It's not, it's not the, pro- the process of knowledge given in 13, 8 to 12 doesn't say you have a high IQ and you got your PhD. What is it? IIT? That's not listed in the 13th chapter. It says the first thing is what's the first part of knowledge? There, 13, 8 to 12, Bhagavad Gita. What's the first? Humility. Well, the first thing to get knowledge is to know I don't know everything. It's a good place to start. Another thing with understanding prophets quotes is looking at things in their entirety, not just going to the database and doing a search and pulling something. But really studying Srila Prabhupada's books, and my own suggestion is that people study both Srila Prabhupada's books and Srila Prabhupada's lectures and conversations. What I've seen is that there's a lot in Srila Prabhupada's books that's not in his lectures very much at all. So Prabhupada's giving all the knowledge in his books, but some of that he doesn't give this, he may touch it briefly, but he'll go into much more depth in his books. So if you're only listening to Prabhupada's lectures, you won't get the full picture. And if you're only reading Prabhupada's books, then you also won't get the full picture because in Prabhupada's lectures and in conversations, he's applying the books to existing situations. And if these books are gonna be here for 10,000 years, guess what, 10,000 years, many situations will change. Prabhupada's showing how he's applying these teachings to individual circumstances. And then you get a complete picture, and then you can understand a particular quote within the whole story, right, this quote was given to this person, at this time, in this place, and there's a lot of other instructions that are given to other people, or maybe you see Prophet, certain things Prabhupada consistently gave exactly the same instruction over and over and over again, and never gave a contrary instruction, then you can understand that's a universal instruction. But many instructions aren't like that. If Prabhupada would skip to this person one thing, another person another thing, or say one thing at one time and another thing at another time, then you understand, okay, this is an instruction that has to be applied according to time, place, and circumstances. I once heard a devotee in Bhagavatam class read a letter that a devotee had stopped chanting their rounds. And Prabhupada said to them, just chant for one hour a day before you go to work. And that, he didn't even say japa or vajan. Or, and one hour, you can't get 16 rounds done in one hour. He said, "I'll oh, just see how liberal Prabhupada was. And I said, yes, but in the same month, another devotee had the same problem. And Prabhupada said, give up all of services and chant 64 rounds a day. He said, I'm writing a separate letter to the temple president saying to relieve you of all other engagement, and you should just be chanting all day. So two people with apparently the same problem. And Prabhupada took very different approaches to how to deal with them. So if we really want to understand, then and we have to study completely. And also if you really want to understand Shiva Prabhupada's mood, guess what? You have to be living Shiva Prabhupada's mood. You have to be involved in book publishing or book distribution or deity worship or somehow pushing on the mission of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Otherwise you'll not understand Shiva Prabhupada's mood. You have to take it up yourself. So best thing is if people get into quote wars, you offer your respects from a great distance and go about your business is my humble suggestion. I see that engaging in quote wars is like a kind of apsara that distracts the yogis. You know, the yogis are trying to meditate, and some heavenly damsel walks by. We're trying to think about Krishna. And we get distracted with these big philosophical debates, and I'm right, you're right, this right, that right, and we forget all about Krishna's gone. Okay. Thank you very much. Oh, oh this is something—a written question. Okay. I, I speak from direct experience, by the way, of having gotten involved in substance more times than I would like to admit. Okay, we find incidents where great devotees in their lifetime, like Adi Sankar, Quraysh, Albars, Alvars, Sri Sampradaya, Haridas, Pakur, simply accepting the pain suffering which fall upon themselves and not reacting or opposing or trying to mitigate the suffering. This is a good question. Please enlighten as to what was their higher principles, understandings of accepting things that befell them. Will the understanding realization that Vasudevam Sarvamiti be the main crux to the matter of complete surrender dependent to Krishna? So I think that what this question is saying is when we get suffering, should we do something to counteract it or not? Is that correct? Whoever wrote this question. So I can give you my understanding, and I'll tell you right now, I don't think this is the absolute understanding, but this is my understanding, that if you get some kind of pain or suffering, that you have a duty, generally, to try to counteract it by ordinary methods, if those are available to you. My body is Krishna's body. My car is Krishna's car. My home is Krishna's home. It's not mine. I'm the servant. So it's my duty to keep the temple cars in good working order. It's my duty to keep my body in good working order. So if I get a cut on my finger, it's my duty to to fix it. I don't just look at it and wait till it gets infected and then has to be amputated. But sometimes there's no available remedy. With Haridas Thakur, there was no remedy. What was he going to do? It was the government. With Prahlad, there was no remedy. His father was the universal government. What are you going to do? You know, call the police? He was the police chief. What well, do he do? There was no child protection office, you know. My father's a... Hirani Kashyapu, he was the topmost child abuser, trying to kill his own son. There was no CPO to report it to. Well, what was he going to do? I mean, even Prahlad's guru, Narada, was officially offering respects to Narayakashe. Only Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu were not. So what was he going to do? He had no ordinary counteraction available to him. So my suggestion is that when you're suffering, first of all, you think, is there a counteraction available? Does it exist? And then the next thing you ask is is the counteraction something that will help me in my Krishna consciousness or hurt me in my Krishna consciousness so you know if your wife is driving you crazy so in modern society you can divorce her but will that help you in your Krishna consciousness probably not you know or you can kill her will that help you in your Krishna consciousness I don't think so You know, if your house is dirty, you can burn your house down, but that probably won't help you in your physical consciousness. So you you have to see, is there a, a counteraction? And is that counteraction legal, moral, ethical, and spiritual? So if you're very poor, maybe you can counteract it by stealing. But that's not moral, legal, ethical, or spiritual. So if you either have no counteraction or if you have no counteraction that's proper, then this is the will of the Lord that he wants me to suffer this for some reason for my benefit. And just like you think about Maharaj, Amarish, when Dervasa Muni came to attack him, he just stood there. But please tell me, if it was the battlefield and it was another ksatriya, would he have just stood there? No. So he was thinking to counteract a brahmana who's my guest. That's not moral, legal, ethical, or Krishna conscious. Therefore, I will not counteract. Does that make sense? Therefore, I will accept. But even when we're trying to counteract, always, Hare Krishna, Rakeke, Rakke Krishna, Marikan, I'm not independent in my means of counteracting. I can take aspirin from my headache, but it may not work. Okay? I may try to move away from a difficult person, and I may just meet another difficult person. Happens all the time. So the mood of the devotee is always on Krishna's service. Whether you're, counter- whether you're making an attempt to counteract or not, your mood is always your service. Your mood is never, I'm the controller. But if it's the car, that's a pretty easy thing to understand. If your car needs to be repaired, you don't just sit there and say, well, Krishna broke the car, I guess he wants it broken. You don't say that. You you make an attempt to repair it. And if it's irreparable, then you accept Krishna doesn't want me to have a car. Is that okay? All right? Daddy, she looks